This episode is brought to you by Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight to your pocket for free. Their main mission is to create a completely new bridge between companies and shareholders and really to reinvent investor relations as we know it. You can try out Quarter today by typing in Q-U-A-R-T-R in your app store of choice. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R or simply click the link in the show notes. And there's five key points to remember about Quarter. One, Quarter is completely free. Two, they include companies from over 16 markets today and plan to add more over time. Three, they easily allow new companies on their platform by simply requesting the ticker of the company and they'll get back to you instantly. Four, users can now leave reactions while listening to calls to make their voices heard. And five, again, it's free and I only back products that I believe in and products that I use every single day. Quarter is an everyday part of my process and I wouldn't live without it. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Try it out today. With inflation at 39-year highs, you don't need a PhD in economics to know that the $100,000 in your bank account could turn to 94 k very soon. So what can you do? Experts suggest investing in alternative assets that historically thrive in high inflation environments. In fact, there's one unexpected alternative asset that appreciates by roughly 23% annually on average when inflation is above 3%, like right now, which is better than real estate and gold. And it has almost no correlation to public equities, much like the ones you hear in this podcast. Would you believe that this alternative asset class was contemporary art? Although it's surprising, using art to safeguard wealth isn't a new idea. The ultra-wealthy have been doing it for centuries. And now you can too with Masterworks.io. It's the new tech platform valued at over $1 billion that, that lets you invest in paintings by Andy Warhol, Picasso, and Banksy, just like stocks. You don't need hundreds of millions to add art to your portfolio anymore. You just need a solid internet connection. Demand for Masterworks is as high as ever, but you can get priority access to their offerings by going to masterworks.art slash value. That's masterworks.art slash value. See important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer for more. I'm also excited to announce our newest sponsor, Tegas. Tegas has the world's largest collection of instantly available interviews on all the public and private companies you care about. All you have to do is log in and type in a stock ticker or a keyword. For example, if you're interested in gaming stocks, you can type in RBLX for Roblox, or type in the keyword metaverse and instantly read hundreds of calls on the company and industry. Tegas actually makes primary research fun and effortless too. Instead of weeks and months, you can learn a new industry or company in hours, and all from those that know it best. Now, I only sponsor products that I use every day, and Tegas is no exception. Since joining, I spend nearly all my time reading Tegas calls on existing companies and new ideas into my portfolio, and I know you will too. So if you're interested, head on over to tegas.co forward slash value hive for a free trial to see for yourself. Again, that's tegas.co forward slash value hive. This week, I have Austin Swanson on the show. Austin is uh, very underfollowed on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Swanee407. And for those that don't know, Austin does extremely detailed deep dives into companies like Cardlytics 
and he's recently done deep dives on Carvana, um, and he focuses on um, just really concentrated bets in the stock market and, 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 and really doing deep work and knowing probably more than anybody about the companies that he's studying. Uh, when he's not doing that, he's also dabbling in real estate, which we'll discuss a little bit, and um, just kind of allocating capital between those two. He also writes a substack called Swanee 407, uh, which will get the name, the reason behind that name, because that's kind of interesting. Um, but Austin, thanks so much for coming on the show. We've actually had a chat over the phone before this podcast, just to discuss kind of some intricacies of Cardlytics. So I know, I know your background a little bit, but I don't know too much. So, you, you know, who are you and, and, and how did, how did you get started investing? And then, and then kind of, what do you end up doing for a living? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, Brandon, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've been looking forward to this. Uh, so yeah, as Brandon said, I'm Austin Swanson. I also go by Swanee407. It's the name I use for you know, Twitter, Substack, YouTube, podcasts, everything. Um, I'm someone who is extremely interested in investing. And honestly, <laughs> I think a better word is just I'm obsessed. I just I love researching, analyzing, thinking, uh, doing scuttlebutt, sleuthing, any anything related to investing. Uh, and I think a good example of that is like on, on Twitter, I have a Cardlytics observation thread, which I mean, I've been going, that's been going on for almost a year now. And I think we're at like a hundred observations. So uh, outside of just like public company investing, I have also been interested in real estate. And my wife and I, we've owned some residential real estate properties, both like single family and multifamily. Uh, she was a professional property manager. And then as we started acquiring properties and scaling, uh, she did that full-time for us as a full-time property manager. Um, and then as we were scaling that, you know, I started getting focused on more commercial properties in terms of apartments and triple net leases. And, and one thing that's kind of fun, and I don't think it's anything we've ever talked about, Brandon, uh, is I found out you could actually buy, uh, they had, they, uh, Carvana does sale leasebacks on their Carvana vending machines. And so you could do triple net or absolute net leases. And they were actually like pretty attractive terms because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, most people probably, they either don't know much about Carvana or they see their net income and don't understand their financials or they're like, hey, I don't want to be left uh, holding this car vending machine. And so there's pretty attractive cap rates there. I was super determined because here's the thing with real estate, the thing that's super attractive is you can get super creative in terms of the financing because the banks will do a lot and then you can do seller carry. And then, I mean, you have, the, so you have all the leverage, then all the you know tax benefits and depreciation. And so I was so set on buying one of those vending machines, but quickly started finding some better opportunities in the public companies and started switching my focus there. And have since then sold essentially all our real estate. Uh, in general, just a little bit more about me. I have degrees in math and natural science. Uh, I tried to graduate as fast as I could. Uh, so I graduated slightly early around like three years. And so that allowed me to start working full-time as an actuary. And that's what I still do. And that also allowed me to start focusing on my actuarial exams. And I went through, passed all those as fast as I could. And so now I'm a fully credentialed actuary, uh, an FSA. And then even just more personally, and <laughs> the reason I want to share this is like, there's so many people that, you know, will reach out to me regarding like Cardlytics or Carvana, and we'll start those conversations. And it's like, well, a year went by and it's like, I don't think we've like anyone even knows like anything about me. So just, and this kind of does relate a little bit into how uh, I got into investing a little bit is, I mean, one fun fact is I'm a fourth degree black belt in Taekwondo. Uh, I did that from age like five to 17 and that was my first part-time job. Uh, but also in, in high school for, for a job, what I used to do 
is I'd go around and look for just mispriced items. It could have been on eBay, Craigslist, garage sales, thrift stores, anything I could find, and then try to turn around and flip it. And I've, that's always been consistent of me trying, you know, more entrepreneurial things. I just, I, I get more enjoyment of, you know, making that dollar on my own. Um, as I went into college, I didn't have a car to be able to go and do that. So I started making YouTube videos and I actually streamed and made content related to video games. Uh, and I made some money there. That's what, that was my part-time job in college. And the thing was, again, even at this time in college, I didn't even know anything about investing, which is still weird for me to even comprehend. Uh, that it just, it, I didn't learn about it until way later. Uh, but I, but here's the thing, I, I'm not someone who enjoys, you know, the whole video game thing, but I realized, oh, I really enjoy making content. Uh, and it was a great way to meet other people. And I think that's what led to my YouTube channel where now I'm actually talking about something I love, which is investing. And then just two other, just really quick things. Um, I'm actually a survivor, the, the, the TV show, the reality show, I'm a survivor fanatic. My wife and I, we just finished all 41 seasons in the last three years. Oh I think I gosh. drove her nuts because <laughs> I always wanted to pause it because I'm like, okay, here's the situation. So we have all these different scenarios and based on the, the information we're getting, okay, this is what they should be, they should be doing. And even more interesting, the last, the last season, uh, season 41, even had some game theory stuff. They had the Monty Hall problem going on. So I was like, oh, I love this. And I actually since applied for the show. And so it's not, it's one of those things I'll probably take, you know, years to really even try to get on it. Uh, but, you know, people talk about like, oh, I would love to own a sports team or be a part owner in that team. It's like, I want to own Survivor. And my thought was like, okay, I can't say that if I'm not actually ever going to be on the show. So I at least apply. Uh, and then the last thing is I've been married to Emma, my wife, for about three years now. And we've been together for 12 uh, since high school. And wow. we have our first kid on the way. So wow, it's congrats. been, yeah, thank you. It, it, exciting times. And then, and then you layer on the current market prices. I mean, it's just, I'm loving life right now, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty exciting. I'm speaking of, uh, you know, uh, being, being with partners and stuff, I'm actually getting married in, uh, almost a month exactly from today. Oh, wow. So Congrats. when this, so yeah, so actually when this gets released, it'll be exactly one month until I get married, um, which is exciting. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I can, I, I can kind of share in that excitement. You, you, you mentioned your, you know, obsession with uh, survivor. It sounds like you kind of have this obsessive personality where you get into something and then that's kind of the only <laughs> thing you can do. Right. So whether it's investing yeah. with Taekwondo, you go, you know, all the way to, I think you said like yep. stage four black belt or something. And then yeah. it's the show. Um, is, is that, is that something you've kind of always had or is that something you've developed over time? I, I have honestly, I've never even thought about it until this moment. And I, I, I think it's just one of those things when I put my mind to something, it's just, I, I want to do it. I want to, I want to see it through. And um, yeah, I, I usually, and I, I, I think I've come to realize even maybe later on, if I want to accomplish like anything, it's like, okay, I usually need to focus on one thing uh, to get that done. And it, it's worked out well so far. Awesome. And so you mentioned also that um, you dabbled in real estate and, you know, not dabbled, mm -hmm. I guess, made it, made it kind of your full-time profession. And you've since kind of shifted assets from real estate to, to stocks. Walk us through kind of that framework where you're seeing real estate asset prices climb higher. And are you just basically kind of figuring out like, okay, the cap rate I can get on real estate is X. The returns I think I can get in stocks is X. And then you're just basically making that decision on where the higher returns are, or is it a little bit more than that? 
it's probably even just simpler than that. I mean, well, it, I mean, honestly, it just all comes down to opportunity cost. I was sitting there and thinking, okay, with the amount of invested capital that I have right now in real estate, uh, if I, okay, what is my, what am I going to be returning over X amount of years? What, what, what do I assume that will be, uh, you know, layer on, you know, you know, tax benefits and everything else. It's like, okay, that's that percentage or that, that amount. What could I get with the current opportunities I'm seeing uh, in these public companies that we will probably be discussing here. <laughs> uh, and I was like, okay, I, I'm under some reasonable like scenarios, the outcome is just even on an unlevered basis with these, you know, usually with real estate, you have 80% or 75% with the bank. Uh, and then you can even apply even more leverage, even on an unlevered basis, these outcomes could, would be better. And here's the other thing that I started realizing. It's just like, I public company investing is just amazing. I mean, you're literally owning a share of a business where there's already management team in place and they're doing everything for you. I mean, with real estate, like even though, you know, my wife was the one managing it, there's still some, you know, mental capacity involved that I did not, I, I, I wanted to free that up, right? Like I, mm -hmm. it was just, you know, you having to make decisions or something comes up and that part I just kind of wanted to get rid of. And I just thought over a long period of time, over my whole lifetime, it's going to be just much more profitable if I can figure out investing in public companies. Got it. No, that makes sense. And when you first struck out trying to invest in public companies, did you have like a set style or how did you, how did you kind of acclimate yourself to the public investing landscape? Again, like, it sounds like you're the type of person that just reads every single book that's ever been written about investing in a few nights and absorbs all the information perfectly and then goes out and kind of forges, forges their path. So what was, what was that uh, learning process like? I, I wish I was exactly like that. That would be amazing. Um, I, I mean, I, I have spent, you know, a, a lot of time reading and, and, and trying to learn as much as I possibly can. And I think that's more from always just thinking like, oh my gosh, I still don't know enough. Like there's still stuff I don't know. And, and I just keep learning new things. But in terms of my investing style, like I haven't always been this concentrated investor that maybe some other people think I am. Uh, I mean, even, you know, prior to COVID, I mean, one, I had, you know, my own portfolio of public companies and the real estate. So that the real estate had some diversification, uh, but I think I had like eight holdings at even that time. And again, someone might be like, oh, that's still concentrated. But again, if you're talking, if this was private businesses that were in my town or something, that would be like, that would be a crazy amount of diversification, right? Like, I don't even know how I can keep track of all those businesses. And that's actually something I've been learning more and more is like, there's still so much I don't know about businesses and you don't need to know everything, right? It, it didn't take me that long to actually understand what I needed to know for Cardlytics to get invested. And even in a high amount, I think in the first week I allocated like 30% of my, my portfolio to that. But anyways, what I learned was like during COVID is these opportunities would come up and there was one company that came along and it just made so much sense to me. And so I it was the first time I was like, okay, I'm actually going to concentrate pretty heavily in this. That ended up working out pretty well. And so I reinvested into essentially, I think Carlitics and Carvana, maybe some other holdings at that time. And I started realizing, okay, I kind of like this, this concentration aspect, but more in general, um, in terms of what I need to get comfortable to invest, it usually needs to be a business I can understand and where they're, I mean, this, the same thing everyone else says, but I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit more on it, but I need a business I can understand and as well as where the expected value or that valuation or intrinsic value, but I like the term expected value for a certain reason, uh, why that expected value is just significantly different than today's price. Uh, in terms of businesses I can understand, it's usually a function of, is it a product or service I use? 
uh, I mean, think of, if I think about Carvana, it's like, okay, I used to buy used cars and I've had an awful experience or even my family. And it's just, we've had these crazy experiences. So it made sense. Like Car or Carvana just made sense to me, let alone I, my last car I bought from Carvana. And I did not buy, I looked elsewhere. I looked at dealerships. I looked at Shift and Vroom and CarMax. And there were certain reasons I didn't buy there. And so that's one of those, that's like that kind of first like checklist item. It's like, well, if I'm not a customer of those other businesses, why is that? Maybe that it indicates other people aren't going to be a customer, right? There were certain right. reasons I didn't buy from those other ones. Um, and I also start thinking, if I'm not a customer, uh, maybe there's people that are a customer and they know more than me. So again, I understand, I'm cl completely aware that that might constrain me and I might, you know, miss um, some amazing investments. But I think on the other side, it decreases the risk substantially for me because it focuses on businesses that I probably at least can understand maybe, you know, as well as others. Mm -hmm. uh, the other side of this is, you know, looking at that expected value. And I mean, it's much, it's, it's not some rigid thing. I'm usually trying to think more in general, uh, but I'm trying to think through different scenarios, what some probabilities are, maybe for those scenarios, I'm thinking about, you know, top down, total addressable market, uh, think about what share they can get as a function of, hey, does it have a growing competitive advantage? Or, or specifically, I really like it, you know, from the customer side, is there a growing uh, customer value proposition? I, I really like looking for that. And then, or I could go more bottoms up approach of just thinking from the customer side. Uh, but the other thing that I think we'll, we'll even talk a little bit about this is where I get a lot of insight and in how I can think. And, and some people might not always agree with this, but is doing more like reverse discounted cash flow or re reverse DCFs and trying to think what's implied and thinking is there just, it, it, even though, yes, there's all these different levers and maybe it's hard to use anything of it. I'm looking for these just wild mispricings. And I think yeah. that's what, like, what I've seen with like Carlos and Carvana. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I really like about your approach, and this is something that I think it's, 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 it's one of the reasons why you and I kind of hit it off. So, so, so quickly, um, you know, not even, not even, not even because we both have an interest in, in cardlytics, but just our investment styles are similar in that we're focused on the bottom up approach from the customer, customer value proposition. And then using that as a screener for kind of understanding where the circle of competence lies. And so mm -hmm. if I can place myself in the role of a customer, even if I'm not like an actual customer, if I can put myself in the shoes of a customer from that, from their standpoint, and if I can kind of rationalize and understand why a customer would choose company A over company B, then it allows me to go further and get more comfortable with, with that business. And then the durability of that business, instead of wondering like, oh, is, you know, banking uh, rewards program software inside my circle of competence. Like it's just, it's, 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 it's a different way of framing the question, but it gets you to the answer much faster. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, and I also think what I've, I've specifically, I mean, with Carlytics is you start realizing, I mean, one of the one things I've realized, especially with Carlytics is, is thinking, well, are you, the people that get it are usually someone who's at least redeemed one offer. And then you can also use that to compare to like, if you did like a reverse DCF and what that implies. And we can talk about that later, but it just, I think people miss a lot by not being a customer of the company, but again, it doesn't always have to be that way. Yeah. So let's dive into one of these companies that you've just gone all out and researched and one that <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about and I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on. I don't, I don't own it yet. Um, I've owned it in the past and, and I'm just, just waiting for, for, uh, for, for a chance to buy it again, but man, it's looking pretty tantalizing here at like less than $2 billion market cap. <laughs> Let's, uh, walk, so walk us, walk us through Cardlytics, how you found it, 
um, and, and really take us through your research process through this idea. Yeah. And what, okay. What I'm hoping to accomplish a little bit here when we talk about this too, is um, I do want like, not in this immediate, you know, right here, but at some point I, I really do want to try to talk a little bit about some items that other people aren't really addressing, right? Mm -hmm. Where yeah. you know, I myself have talked about this company, other people have talked about this company, uh, but there's been a lot of changes even recently. So like, I mean, there's been these ex expert interviews with people where they're like, oh, they, you know, they haven't been employed for just this little amount of time, but in that time, a lot has changed. So hopefully I can talk about some new aspects here, but uh, related to what you're talking about right now, in terms of how I found it, I, it's a little hard to remember the exact details. It's been a little bit, but from what I recall is I was invested in a company called Points International and that led me to AMIA. I think there was something maybe with the, with the board members were, were similar. And then AMIA, as I was in, in investigating that, uh, they had all these different holdings and one of them was Carlytics. And I think at that time they were either divesting or they were completely out of the company. Uh, but I was just like, what is this? And what attracted me to it was right away, what helped me understand it um, was one, I, I think I was already, I've, I've redeemed one of the offers in my Chase account. So I was like, oh, they're the ones powering this? I had no idea because Cardlytics doesn't show much about that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other aspect was there was a lot of similarities with Points International. Uh, but I liked this better just because there was even more operation, uh, operational leverage, more scale benefits. And there was all these things that I was just like, there were similarities for me to quickly understand it. Uh, but then I realized that there was something better here. It was a much bigger market. And so just generally, just to make sure, you know, start out here is Cardlytics is the one powering those cashback offers that you'll see like in Chase, Wells, B of A, US Bank, uh, and now also through their acquisition of DOSH, they're powering the offers like in Venmo, as well as some other neo banks and fintechs. And so one reason this is, you know, just such a great business is everybody wins, right? It's just, it's rarely like, you'll see it in some businesses. And usually when you do, it's like, it's <laughs> every, when everything's moving in the same direction and everyone's benefiting, it's great. Because on the opposite, if you start, if you invert that and start thinking in a different way of like, if you have one person not benefiting, usually you'll have some hindrance, right? Maybe some like regulatory issues that someone's not uh, benefiting there. So that's one part that attracted me. So bank customers, they're benefiting because you're getting cash back. You're, I mean, you're getting free money and let alone it's not the one to two percent cash back you're usually getting on maybe your debit or credit card. It's like five to 25 percent or or even larger. I mean, I had an offer that was $50 back on all bird shoes. Like that's attractive uh, for the banks. It helps them increase engagement, which is an important aspect. Everyone gets hung up on like, oh, the revenue share. Engagement is really important. It decreases attrition. And yeah, they get revenue share. Uh, and then they get to leverage all Carlytics and their dedicated team of 600 employees. And they're, you know, it's, it, and I'll go in depth later why it's better than them doing it on their own. Uh, but Advertisers then, they get this brand safe environment uh, and there's more certainty with the results. It's based on purchase data. So more relevant, you have the certainty. And one of the key things, and I think I can, again, I wanted to talk about something that maybe a lot of people don't talk about here and why Cardlytics, when I first understood or thought of this, I got really excited, right? And that's the fact that this is one of the few advertising channels that is completely solicited. And, and that might not be the right or the best term, uh, but it's worked for me how I thought about this. And what I mean by that is if you think of the opposite situation, like social media, YouTube, uh, TV, radio, like people are not there to look at advertising, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm listening to radio and a commercial comes on, change the channel. I'm watching TV, mute. 
Uh, I'm on Instagram stories and I'm looking at, you know, I'm there for those, the people I follow. If I get an ad in between, I'm swiping right instantly, right? Or swiping mm-hmm. like whatever. Like I, I, I'm not there for that. And so the reason why you have to have these larger engagement times and spend a lot of time in the app and why that's such an important metric for them is you're hoping, even though you have all the eyeballs, you need longer amounts of time on those apps to hopefully, oh, let's slide in an offer and hopefully they engage, right? I mean, the, the way to think about this too is, is imagine you took like Facebook, you took Facebook, you took all, all their offers or all their advertisements that, that's hidden around and, you know, try to, you know, perfectly place and you put it in one section. It was all organized, nicely condensed, easily to see. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, that'd be great. You wouldn't, you, here's the, the point I'm making is you wouldn't need that much time to look at those offers then, right? Or those advertisements. Yeah. But then, but then you add one more lever on that and that's, what if it was solicited? Because on Facebook, people don't, even if you did that, it's like, well, I'm not going to look at the advertisement, but on mm-hmm. Card Linux, you get a benefit. The customer gets money for it. So it's like, they want to look at it. It's almost in a way, it's like the Super Bowl. Why the re- why, one reason why people like the advertising on the Super Bowl isn't just that there's a lot of eyeballs. It's the fact that people are actually looking at the offers. And so again, I make that point because I get constantly people like, well, how much time do people spend in their banking apps anyways? You don't need that much time. I mean, you need like one second. You're you're purposely focused on all these advertisements. And so it's just something people get hung up on. And again, I think that comes back from understanding from a customer point of view. Uh, but more than anything, why I, I even just got interested in this, and I think this is another important point just for the whole frame of mind here, is I think a lot of people get hung up on, well, this won't be Facebook or Google. And this, this won't, like, it won't reach their scale of a one or two trillion. Like people, do you realize it's a $2 billion company? Like, sure. I'm sitting here. I would love <laughs> for that to happen and have 500 or a thousand X return. Great. I'm set now. But at a two, like this isn't a $200 billion company. The reason I am interested in this company and I continue to talk about it is because it continues that the, the fact that the price continues to decline at the exact same time, the business keeps getting better. So that's why I'm interested in this company. Now, you're you're interested in this company because it's you know you, you, let's say it's a two billion dollar market cap and you think it can you know 10 10 15 x or something in the next five to ten years let's let's press into that though against facebook and google because that's really if you think about the long term like choice between advertisers they've got facebook they've got google and what cardlytics is trying to say is hey like Make that choice, not just between Facebook and Google, but make it between Facebook, Google, and us, Cardlytics. Um, so like, let's, let's skip around um, these questions just because I think, it's, I think it's poignant now to discuss it. Why aren't advertisers or why haven't advertisers been as willing to adopt this Cardlytics um, you know, solution? And then if you can, walk us through like why this is so great for advertisers and the returns that they can get. And then why haven't more advertisers shifted spend even, even more than what they've done now? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I actually think we are seeing that happen. And, and that's, what's really interesting is I think that if you see some of these like interviews with some of the other companies, I think Panera was one example. They even said, 
we now think of it in terms of uh, you know, Google, Facebook, and Cardlytics. Like yeah. it is becoming part of the conversation. Uh, and more, even more, you know, uh, thinking in terms of the data of what we're actually seeing, putting this in terms of numbers, is if you look at the top advertisers in the channel, uh, EBIT data, they have some really interesting like uh, data on this. The top advertisers, yes, they're getting more concentrated. But the thing is, it's because they keep spending more and more, even in higher proportions. Like Starbucks just keeps spending more and more because what I think is it's working, right? People look at the concentration of advertisers as, oh, uh, that's a negative because you could like an Airbnb, you lose it and lose a lot to the channel. Sure. Mm -hmm. But we're also seeing that the people that it seems to be working is spending more and more. But the reason why others haven't been spending at that level, I I think there's quite a bit of different reasons. One is you needed self-service, which is finally starting to come out and like agencies needed that. So that opens up a whole portion of the TAM. You also needed product level offers before all the the brands and the CPGs and others, they couldn't use the channel. So that was a significant portion of TAM that couldn't even be addressed before. Uh, The other aspect has been all of this thing with, uh, I mean, I, I think is there's been this, so a lot of people will use like multi-touch attribution and then they couldn't fit the Cardlytics data in there because multi-touch attribution is more on an individual level and the Cardlytics uh, data is more aggregated. And so people are like, oh, they just, they're not doing too much here. But the thing that's interesting and, and something that has very, very little been talked about, and I think it's very important is they mentioned, I think it was Lynn, I can't remember where she talked about this, uh, but she has mentioned that Bridge should help with the attribution problem. Uh, because what it's doing is it's 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 the company's own data at this point, rather than bank's data. Their their integrate bridge was an acquisition in April, uh, and it helps with the, the SKU and product level offers. That will allow them to integrate with the company's point of sale systems to have these product level offers and see more into their own data, which should then help them get more insight into those, uh, you know, like into the attribution issue. But even one step further, right? Because that gets all you know, instead of just the whole, you know, multi-touch attribution versus marketing mix modeling and randomized control trials and incrementality and all of those things of measurement, the one way I thought about it of, of trying to get over this believability hump uh, is the way I've tried to think about it of why aren't people, you know, believing what's going on. Well, think about with Bridge and how if they have Bridge and product level offers, let's say you're Panera again. I just like thinking about Panera There's because there's been some good examples like that. Let's say they have some rant, like this like specific like cookie or something that they, they, they put a product level offer on that they don't sell much of. But all of a sudden, they, let's say they give it away for free for a certain amount of time. And all of a sudden that goes up, you know, they sell 20 or 100 times what they usually do. Can you, and that was the only offer you did on that, that specific thing. Are you going to say that that's not card uh, cardlytics anymore? I mean, I think that will be a huge hump to get over once they get the product level offers. Uh, but again, in terms of Facebook and, uh, and some others, I think we have this huge tailwind occurring right now that hasn't happened before. Uh, because again, even though you, maybe it's not the best way to do it, people have been par- uh, comparing like the return on ad spend to, to others. And, and that's been maybe a hurdle and not something that you should be doing because again, cardlytics, it's a little bit different, especially you have the certainty in the results. You're not relying on these other ways ways to, to do the measurement, but we're, so already, I think there's been a gap where Cardlytics has better targeting measurement ability. And, but the thing is, is even just very recently, that gap is widening between the reasons for uh, IDFA with like Apple and their uh, iOS 14.5. And so Facebook, even in their Q4 earnings, uh, 2021 earnings, they were even talking about this, that they are, their, uh, their targeting and measurement ability is decreasing. So if that continues to de- decrease and Cardlifts is either staying constant or that's actually increasing because of bridge, it's like, well, that gap only continues to widen. And I think it just becomes harder and harder 
to ignore. And so, I mean, again, this business is just so interesting because everyone benefits, uh, but you have all these tailwinds right now that I think you'll just continue to see some more shifting in advertising. So we know how advertisers win because they can target directly. And now with, with Bridge and kind of some of the stuff they're doing, they can, they can issue product level um, offers. And we know how consumers benefit because consumers can get you know, discounts on stuff that they already buy or things that they already go to. Um, how do how do banks uh, benefit from this? I know there's obviously higher switching costs if you, as a bank, can provide a better experience for your consumer, um, and because it's already kind of hard uh, for people to switch banks. You really have to mess up as a bank, I think, to 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 make someone switch. But what what specifically do banks get? I know there's a rev share, so maybe you can discuss that, and and then we can go from there. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, is like before what you're trying to do to entice, you know, customers to keep using your cards is, you know, you have the one to 2% cash back. But now, because that was, I believe that w w how they were doing that before was funding that through like the interchange fee. Uh, and, but now instead you're to fund the cash back or using uh, ad budgets, advertisers are funding that allowing for much higher rewards. And so as they do that, you know, you know, customers are now, you know, using your card more, you're spending more rather, you know, higher average, uh, you know, purchases, and then you're you know, using your bank more because the big thing that they've been looking for is higher engagement. All right. So we know how Carlytics kind of creates this win-win win for everybody involved, um, all the, all the stakeholders. Why can't other companies like a fig, which is something that you can kind of go into, why can't someone like them come in and say, Hey, like, why can't we provide you some offers? Like we've got these local offers here. We've got these national offers here. Let's play with Cardlytics. Why don't you other banks, you know, kind of give us a shot. Why, why is that hard to do? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> one thing that I've always had like fun, like a fun exercise to think about is imagine, like, imagine you give me let's say $1 billion, right? That, that, that's, and that's a good way to think about it because you know, Cardletics, like, it's a $2 billion company. So let's say you give me $1 billion to go out or, or you can even throw out 5 billion or 10 billion almost. You could, if you threw out, if you gave me that amount of money to go compete, could I do it, right? And, that, and that's a way to think about this because if you start down that path of that line of thinking, let's think about how that conversation goes with a bank. Hey bank, uh, <laughs> can I place advertisements in on your customer's bank accounts using their purchase data? They're gonna think I'm crazy. Like it just, it just, it's such a hard thing to convince, right? Uh, but let's say the bank is interested. They, I, I, I'm a good salesman. I convinced them to do that. Um, why would they go with me, right? Over Cardlytics, I would think that they would be sitting there think, well you know, Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, um, and others, they all trust Cardlytics. So maybe I should. So another hurdle that all these other competitors have to get over is the social proof aspect, right? Same thing happened with Dosh. Once they got Venmo, everyone's like, oh, well, the Dosh must be the go-to person for this. Mm -hmm. But let's go, I'm go one step further with this exercise is let's say then, okay, I'm this new competitor. I come to the channel. I convince this, maybe it's a new bank. I convince them to partner with me. So I have, you know, a certain amount of, of uh, you know, at least one bank with maybe a sizable amount of reach. Let's say like 50, 60 million users or whatever it may be. Well, now the issue becomes, do I have enough scale to attract more advertisers? And the answer is likely not. 
because here's the thing, it's, it took Carlytics uh, to get to a critical scale of getting Chase and Wells Fargo and getting well over 100 MAUs, not card holders. People like, you know, competitors like to throw around the card holder aspect, but that's because it inflates their number. Uh, instead, MAUs, they had to get enough to attract advertisers. So if I only have one bank, I probably don't have the scale to attract the advertisers. And so, and then given the fixed costs that are involved, if I'm trying to match Cardlytics, and if I don't have enough, you know, advertising coming in, well, then I'm probably not going to be able to survive for that long. So what do I do? Well, now I need to probably either cut costs or I need to rely on a different way to get the advertisements. And that's why you'll see these other competitors come along. And what they do is they rely on third-party uh, content providers. And these are usually not as attractive offers and lower in amounts. And so I, that's why I think it's been very difficult to compete against, uh, you know, Cardlytics. And so I think, you know, the co-founders, uh, Scott and Lynn, they came from a banking background. And so they knew what was needed and how to handle the data, which was a huge advantage early on. Uh, and then how to scale and get that social proof now. And now they have the track record, track record of experience, which plays into it. And I think that's also going to help them in open banking. But I, I think I still want to discuss, you know, uh, more about competition. But, you know, one thing I do want to make sure this gets in because it's something that gets talked about all the time is, Oh, but the risk is is management execution risk. They they can't they're not going to be able to accomplish this, right? Well, okay. First thing <laughs> is I don't think people give Lynn enough credit. I mean, she is an amazing individual and very intelligent. I was listening to a podcast you know recently with her, and it's just amazing stuff she was talking about. But people don't give her enough credit. And the other aspect, one thing that's really interesting to talk about is you know Carvana, another one of my holdings. No one doubts Ernie Garcia is this amazing CEO and co-founder and can accomplish, you know, accomplish a lot and has this great track record, right? But an interesting fact that's something that he just talked about not too long ago was that before Carvana, the business he was trying to attempt to do was exactly competing against Carlinux. He literally said, like, quote, uh, yeah, we weren't successful uh, and uh, Cardlytics was the one who ultimately won or something along those lines. I mean, actually, you know, use Cardlytics verbatim. So you have the CEO that everyone recognizes that, that is, you know, terrific, uh, but try to accomplish what, you know, you know, what Cardlytics actually, you know, was the one who actually was able to do it. So it's like mm -hmm. people talk about management execution. It's like, well, management has executed. They have done something terrific. So then the next thing people usually say is, well, what got you here isn't going to get you there, right? Well, that's exactly why then management's, come, uh, you know, Lynn has hired all these terrific new management team in terms of a new CPO uh, or chief product officer and a new chief technology officer and all these things. And they're building all the things necessary to go from, you know, the FinTech to the ad tech side. So anyways, I want to, I want to make sure I address that because it, it gets brought up all the time. So anyways, uh, back to competition. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I guess another thing I've thought about is, you know, like people will bring up like Google pay and Apple pay yeah, and those. That's wallets. exactly what I was going to ask next. Yeah. Uh, you, I'll, I'll be actually completely honest. The first time someone brought that up to me, you know, I was, it took me off guard and I, I think I was actually a little bit worried about it because here's the thing. And it's actually a very common thing that you will see in this whole like story of Cardlytics is that these little pieces of information come out and everyone seems to just think worst case scenario. Uh, and then they never address it again. Right. It's I, maybe, I, I don't remember if the book was like Daniel Kahneman's like thinking fast, 
uh, versus thinking slow where, you know, people have these first thoughts and it's really bad, <laughs> but actually after you spend some more time thinking about it, it's like, it's actually not that bad. And so in terms of the mobile, uh, the mobile wallets, who I actually did like a full write up on this of why I think they'd actually be a good partner. But besides that, as let's say that they create their own, right? Let's say you know, Google pay in a way has their own. They even have offers on their section. Uh, but like, okay, does that impact card Linux? Right. I actually think it helps card Linux. Uh, because oh. you're introducing more people and more advertisers to this uh, type of advertising, the type of like card linked offers uh, with the purchase data. And then they can figure out how did this fits into their model, uh, which then increases the understanding of Cardlytics and then people could use Cardlytics, right? You know, usually people think of competition as this bad thing, but yes, maybe it can be, but it, it also adds the amount of people that are using it and understanding the product. Uh, because here's the situation, right? Even if people are all using mobile wallets, Cardlytics doesn't go away. <laughs> like mm -hmm. there's still these under, like if, in order to use a mobile wallet, you have a, a, a debit card, credit card, or a bank account. So there's still an underlying bank account and that's what Cardlytics is using, right? There's still 171 million people uh, in their or MAUs that people can still advertise to. So that's still there. Right. So I'll even go a little bit further on this because again, I've, I've thought about this because again, I was a little bit worried about it and I was just trying to think, okay, well, what are all the scenarios here? Like imagine even if a hundred percent of people are using mobile wallets, right? Well, like maybe 40% are Apple and 30% are Google and then the rest are Samsung and maybe some other, you know, portion of that. Well, if I have, let's say Chase, Chase Bank, right? Well, only 40% then are going on Apple and then 30% are going on Samsung. So like Cardlytics on the other hand has 100% of those users, right? right? And then the other aspect of that is then Cardlytics is also not limited to just purchases that are made on the mobile wallets. I was trying to get the exact, you know, I was digging deep into like uh, Google Pay and there was stuff at the time I was looking at this that it was restricted to only the purchases that they made on the mobile wallet. And mm -hmm. yes, maybe we get to the point where all oh, 100% of purchases are on there. Uh, but even if that is the case, right? The, the other aspect that I always think about is <laughs> that people still lose sight of is these offers work on mobile wallets. Like, and I say that because I have people that will re they'll reach out and they, I don't think they realize this. Even, even even a little bit further, there's people that still will message me regarding, well, what if people start making more purchases like online? As if they think because it's a card linked offer, it has to be an actual physical card that swipes. And it, it yeah. sounds kind of crazy, but like, that's why I like talking about this. It's just because there's, there's so much opportunity here because I think there's just so many misunderstandings. Uh, you mentioned fig that that's a, another one um and i guess well i guess even just to take a little bit step back like the competitor that i think everyone seems to worry about and this comes up equally as crazy i mean i've had people reach out i think even last week about this is they worry about banks doing it themselves i think that's mm -hmm. the competitor that you know people start worrying about and well, here's the thing that, again, this is something more recent. And because if people are not, you know, I, I don't even know if they've talked about this during earnings at all. It might've been only during the December and the January conference that just happened in the last couple of months. So again, so it's recent. So again, if you if you haven't been following Carlytics or only just earnings, you might be missing these things and it's important information. And here's the thing, what Carlytics has created is something that's gonna kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> and what that is, is the bank self-service platform. I think they even called it engage is what I've heard. Uh, mm. maybe, maybe I'm spreading rumors here. Maybe that, that maybe that's not even a thing. Uh, but 
I know for a fact that they're working on this because, you know, Lynn, I think it was one of the conferences she was, she was discussing the whole B of A negotiations. And she said the carrot that they're trying to use to uh, entice B of A is give them this bank self-service platform. And so essentially what this is and why this is all really important to the context of Carlytics is, I mean, if you have Chase, there is a Chase Sapphire uh, reserve card and they have Chase Sapphire reserve exclusive offers, meaning those offers are only in Chase and they are only exclusive to Cardlytics. And so, or uh, sorry, to that cart, right? Mm -hmm. And so they did this, like they did a $50 Allbirds card uh, or offer. That was actually really, I think, well-received. I used it. Uh, I had some friends use it. Uh, Yebit data, they showed that Allbirds was doing, you know, did fairly well in just in Q4. Uh, and then now since then, they've been advertising uh, across more channels. But essentially what the bank self-service is going to do is allow the banks to do this themselves. So when investors worry about, uh, the banks, you know, doing this on their own. What, what if the banks do this? Well, great. That'd be wonderful now because they have the bank self-service and now it's less reliant on Carlytics. So before, when you're worrying about management execution risk, well, let's build something for the banks to do this and them and them to be the ones that are, you know, responsible in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sure, you might think, well, banks might not want to do, they want to still do this on the, their own because they have to give up revenue share. Well, then you think, well, what do they get for that revenue share? Uh, they get all the technology that's already created. They get the new ad server, the new UI, better imagery, uh, the product level offers through through Bridge, uh, a dedicated resource of 600 employees already working on this. And yeah. they get the combined effort of you know aggregating all the, the banks to attract more advertisers. So uh, the other thing this does, and I think this is important because people also, you know, this is a big misunderstanding because, you know, people talk about this and they try to, you know, they're bearish on Cardlytics. And I think it's the wrong reason is they think, well, if you're a Cardlytics uh, bank partner, there's no differentiation, right? There's no differentiation amongst the banks. Here's the thing. <laughs> when you have an exclusive offer from this bank self-service, it's exclusive to that bank. That's a differentiation. And not only that, it's a differentiation amongst the cards because you can have like an, an offer that's exclusive to that card. And so I think that's huge. And so again, this is what they're trying to give to B of A. And I think that's a, I think that's a good segue into FIG, which is another you know important part, uh, a part, part of this whole story uh, of what's going on. So uh, I, I don't know if you, if you want me to get into the whole FIG situation. I mean, it did lead, I think, to where the market price is today. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let's address that because there were a couple Tegas calls from, I don't know if it was somebody at FIG or someone that used to work at FIG. But Agio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But basically yeah, the Tegas calls were not, uh, were not painting Carlytics and, and, and Carlytics uh, competitive advantage in a, in a good light. So if you want to shed, shed, some, shed some light on that, that'd be great. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I thought a lot about this because I think – um, th this might be what I, I have by far got the most DMs about <laughs> was with Fig uh, and the B of A situation. So uh, as background, a while back we started hearing B of A was testing offers uh, through Fig, or we didn't quite maybe know it was Fig, uh, but I think between those like expert you know calls uh, with Agio, where Agio, I believe from my understanding, uh, they were either they bought Empire and then they created this new company called Fig. I think, and I might be saying those names wrong, but, uh, but that gives you the gist. And so essentially B of A was starting to test these location specific offers because they wanted these local offers. And so uh, I started seeing, I think in September was the first time I started seeing a B of A from some other people, uh, them sending me these offers and investors just started getting worried because they're like, why are they testing a competitor? Yeah. Well then fast forward. Uh, so that was September, 2021, again, all recent. Then in November, 
uh, Carlix announced the, uh, that the renewal B of A, because that contract was coming up, was going to be delayed. And so people between that and the testing comp competitors, I think people just started losing their minds. I mean, people that's you start seeing, you know, market price drop. I mean, I heard people that... <laughs> I, I just, I heard some people, again, it's one of those things of they heard the first information and they, they went to a quick conclusion and then they just, they maybe never returned, right? The market price went down and that was it. But when you started thinking about it, it was like that, I, I, it just didn't make any sense. And so I went through a whole write-up. I had like 15 reasons why B of A was definitely going to renew. Uh, but specifically, I guess just to quickly summarize this related to FIG, um, especially because you know, everything we were hearing is we were actually hearing that the testing of those offers was going poorly. And so, you know, the reason was, was it wasn't based on purchase data. It was only location-based and it was this huge wide radius. So it wasn't even that relevant. Um, it was low in amount. There were only like 5% offers compared to like card letters where they're usually five, 10, 15, 20 plus. Um, they were poor logos. They were literally just, you know, white background with words like black text, that's it. Uh, they were mixed in with the national offers, which is why Cardlix is waiting. They wanted to get the new mm -hmm. ad server and the new UI to be able to better organize everything. Uh, but instead, you know, I think, I don't know if BFA was just growing impatient or whatever it may be. And so they threw it in there. But then that led to it not doing as well because that's, again, you, you start mixing all these offers and just putting in there, it becomes harder to find things. And so uh, the other aspect of this is I believe that they, and I, I think we've now had confirmation on this is, and it kind of goes back to my first thing of why competitors can't do this on the, uh, by themselves because they don't have enough reach is they were, uh, you know, FIG was relying, and I believe it was FIG. I mean, again, Cardlytics, I will say here, Cardlytics has been very cryptic with what they've said. And even the yeah. last time they talked about it, it was like, I was even having a hard time understanding. So I, I do recommend going to the exact quotes, uh, but it sounds like now, so we're back up a little bit, is the reason these offers weren't working so well is they were relying on a third-party content creator called Rewards Network. And the reason why that's important is Rewards Network works with restaurants that are usually in need of capital. And it might be that they're struggling or they're trying to do something, but they need capital for some reason or the other. And so what, and, and what they do is they work with Rewards Network. Rewards Network goes out and they place offers. They bring in new customers. And those customers, as they come in, uh, that like maybe that incrementality is what's helping uh, pay back that loan. So it's, it's a pretty interesting you know, business there. Uh, but what that does is, is usually those businesses <laughs> that are related to Rewards Networks are not very attractive businesses. They're in need of capital for a reason, right? So if you, I looked at these, some of these offers that were near me, uh, because they were the same offers, like, well, that's another whole aspect, is, well, I'll get into that, is Dosh actually uses rewards networks as well. So these were not exclusive offers that Fig had. Uh, and I could go on and look at these offers on Dosh and be like, I would never go here. It doesn't matter if you give me 50%. Like, there was some fundamental reason or another, like one of them that was near me, uh, they were going out of business. They were trying to sell that business. So like there's, again, all together, these offers, you know, fig, it wasn't working well. And so this is where it gets a little bit better. January, 2022. So, I mean, this is just, just recently. I mean, this just happened. Uh, you know, Carlix was talking at a conference about the whole situation and uh, they, what Carlix has since started doing, I think this was in December, because then again, I remember I started seeing these offers back in September. So then in December, so that coincides with maybe everything wasn't working as well. Cardlix started pushing the rewards network offers. And Cardlix has specifically said they are pushing rewards network offers. And they said the reason for this, and this is where it got a little cryptic though, uh, was because the other provider, whoever they were working with, they weren't allowing them the access to the purchase data. So that gave us confirmation that the offers weren't uh, related to purchase data. But here's, this was the beauty of it, right? This really showed banks are not looking to share the purchase data with anyone, right? 
cartilage right. has built this, this trust. And so it's just, it's, it's just, it was a huge fact for me. So, um, but it's just another interesting, okay, here's the other interesting aspect of all this, right? Carlos gave all these reasons, you know, it doesn't even seem like figs in the, the, the picture anymore. Last time I heard someone said like Aja was on an uh, expert call and they were no longer as rosy and confident as they were before, but that's only what I've heard. I haven't, I haven't seen the transcript, so I don't know for sure. Uh, but, you know, Carlos has made it clear that they're the ones now pushing the rewards network content. So it, I don't even see why fig would even be in the picture at this point, but maybe they are. I, I don't know uh, for a fact. But what's interesting is it seems almost certain that uh, B of A is going to renew. It's like 99%. I mean, Cardinal again, that's why I went through 15 reasons. Like one of the reasons was, uh, you know, they're in active negotiations with them. And, uh, you know, there's a specific reasons, you know, why it's getting delayed. They, Carlix laid it all out on the table. But here's, this is why it's interesting, is even though before everyone reacted very negatively to it and the stock price went down, is nothing's changed since then. Even though we got all this new information, people are not, you know, what is that? The, the Bayesian uh, inference of taking in new information, adjusting the probabilities. No one's doing any of that. Instead, what they're doing mm -hmm. is they're waiting until it's 100% certain and then they'll react. So maybe once there's an official announcement, then maybe the price will change. Uh, but what's interesting then is, the thing is, is, is there's so many of those aspects with Cardlytics of so much uncertainty, like the self-service and the bank self-service and the new ad server and the new UI and the neo banks and open banking. And so I think everyone's just applying zero to all of those things. And so what happens then is you have this huge delta in, in between what is probably possible, even if just a few of those work out versus the price today. And so that, I mean, that's what all leads to me being even just interested in this again. You've mentioned Dosh and, 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 and you've explained Dosh and you've explained Bridge. Um, let's, let's pivot into Cardlytics unit economics. So if I'm an investor and I'm trying to understand how Cardlytics makes money, I know that you know, they allow advertisers to display ads inside banking channels, but how does that money flow? So for example, like if, if Cardlytics earns $1 of revenue, how do they get that? How do they pay that out in costs? Like what does the bank get? What does Cardlytics get? And then what's, what's kind of that run rate um, gross profit and, 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 and cash flow that, that Cardlytics should expect to see? Yeah. Um, so the one way to think about this is an advertiser will pay what is called billings. And then Cardlytics, you have to pay for the consumer incentive or the cash back amount that the user's earning. And so if you take billings minus that consumer incentive, uh, that gets you to revenue. And so if you actually take that then, excuse me, if you take that and divide that by the number of users or monthly active users, uh, that is what it is getting you to uh, that average revenue per user or that ARPU amount. And that's the metric that gets thrown out all the time. And then so now, the car, uh, so you have revenue, well, Cardlytics has to pay the banks. They have to pay them uh, what is called the FI share, the financial institution share, or the rev share. Uh, they have to pay the banks that portion, and that leaves you with the gross profits. And then you have some operating expenses. And so the way you can think about it is usually how it's been working is you might have like, uh, it's like 70% of uh, revenue to consumer incentive. So if you had a dollar, you're going to have, you know, 70 cents of that uh, revenue. So the $1 billing, 70 cents of revenue. And I mean, this is just based on historical and this could change over time. Uh, and then you, right now, I mean, the, what usually what's happened, I mean, the gross profit margin is I think on the average of the last three years is like 36%. I mean, banks are a majority of that, but then you have some delivery costs. I think one thing that's interesting to talk about because, you know, a lot of people get in depth with all these, uh, you know, are, are focusing on these economics or the union economics. But I think some important things to talk about 
is, well, one, I think there is a lot of operating leverage in the business. You know, Carlix has spoken about, you know, how it doesn't take much now in terms of employees or other expenses related to like onboarding a new bank. I can't remember verbatim, but I believe with Wells Fargo, it was like, oh yeah, there was like one other person that was needed. It, it, again, the technology is already there. Uh, same thing with product level offers. That was talked about. They were hitting, someone's like, well, how much expense is going to be related to, to roll out all the product level offers? The technology is all is there. All they need is a new ad server. Uh, and so, you know, Cardless has created everything and now they're giving self-service to others. And so, you know, operating expense, expenses, I don't think are going to be increasing proportional to if billings increase. And so what and all that's given rise to, uh, op, you know, the operating leverage. But the more interesting aspect, you know, you have your revenue share, you have to pay the banks, uh, you know, their FI, or you have the revenue, have to pay the banks, their bank, you know, share their FI share. In B of A, with the current negotiations, they're trying to bring that down. No, who knows if that will actually happen, which should be a reflection of if that's going to be resigned or not. If you thought that wasn't going to be resigned, why would you go into a negotiation and say, you know what, how about we also like, give you less money? That's the thing is like, there's so much irrationality with things. Or if you actually start thinking from just like a practical standpoint, it just does like things. If It's like a puzzle. Things just have to fit together. And if they don't, usually I'm like, I need to dig a little deeper because it needs to make sense. But Regarding the FI share, the other aspect is if they started using more neobanks and fintechs, that revenue share, uh, I believe, is lower. And I've heard for open banking, I think it was during the investor day presentation, they said that was like zero. But maybe that will never be much of the of the revenue, so we don't really have to factor that in. So the real interesting aspect here that I don't hear anybody talk about, and I think it's just this crazy aspect, and, and Lynn's hinted at it, is uh, the so the FI share is based on their relative contribution of the data to like the delivery of the service. They, 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 they spell it out. I think it's in the 10 K exactly how they say it, but essentially uh, it's, it's if like right now, if they're contributing a hundred percent of the data, well, you know, they have a hundred percent of the FI share, but then that's negotiated differently. Maybe it's like 50%. Right. So what that means is, is if their relative contribution decreases, well, then their FI share should decrease which means that the gross profit should increase. Mm -hmm. Well, why would that happen? Is if Cardlytics starts bringing in product level offers and SKU, which is something the banks do want, they don't have that right now. And they have actually said that they want this data. So they're eager to get this as well. Is if you start introducing that to the delivery of an offer and bringing in new data, well, the bank's contribution should decrease and that should increase revenue share or that should decrease revenue share, and increase gross profits. And so here's the thing. You can think, nah, that's not going to happen. Like, I'm not going to take this guy's word for it. Lynn has actually said this. She has said revenue share for Bridge will be material, materially different. And the fact is, is because uh, it's not the bank's data. And so, okay, it might be materially different with, you know, skew and those product level offers, but so on an aggregated basis, that should bring FI share down. So uh, we will see, uh, again, I think just so we don't, you know, repeat stuff and we don't, you know, talk too much about everything. I, I could probably go over all the, how I'm thinking about numbers and stuff. If we, you know, if we go through the, like valuations or maybe some like reverse, you know, DCFs to see what's implied. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, we can, we can do that. Um, the one thing I do want to discuss though, is just yeah. a question on product improvement. So they're doing a lot of product improvement now, but one thing that, um, you know, people that aren't necessarily as bullish or maybe bearish on, on, on Carlux would say is like, Hey, it's been, it's been 10 years. And for the most part, the UI UX is practically the same and they're still, 
you know, showing like very basic logos and, 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 and it's just not as appealing and you've had 10 years to kind of improve on the product. So like, I think I understand why the UI UX isn't necessarily as good as it is now, but would you want to do a better job of kind of explaining why over 10 years, you know, you're still just now starting to see these new logos and you're, and you're just now starting to see these product level images. Yep, absolutely. I mean, the, the biggest thing is, is you, as for this to all work, you needed scale first. It wouldn't matter, you know, invert the situation, right? Let's say it's a completely different situation and it's the best UI UX you've ever seen, right? It doesn't matter if there was no reach because then the advertisers wouldn't be attractive. And that was the hard part. And so Cardlytics over the last 10 years, it, it was, people lose sight of this. It wasn't that long ago that they didn't have Chase and Wells Fargo. And those are the ones that put them over that critical scale of getting enough of enough MAUs and enough users to attract advertisers. So once they accomplished that, which again, wasn't that long ago, then they started working on everything else. And maybe, sure, maybe you should coincide with everything at the same time, uh, but we'll see. I think now they are starting to focus on those things. And so I guess just to kind of go into like what's been happening now, and I think this is important because there's so many people because it's been so recent of what's happening that if you're, you know, if you're talking to a past employee that was even, you know, less than a year ago, they weren't here for all these new things that are happening. And it, there's been these little just drops of, you know, I was listening to some random uh, conference with Carlytics out with someone and they just mentioned one of these new improvements I heard nowhere else. So there's these things that just no, not enough people are talking about. But essentially, the one thing I'm waiting for is to, before I would ever sell, is I want to really see all these new things come together. So some of the new things that are, that are going on right now is they're working on a new ad server, which will allow for the new user experience, which will have, you know, the, which should eventually have all the richer imagery. Um, this new ad server, US Bank is already on this. And so what this also allows is for push notifications. And so I'm already getting these push notifications on US Bank. And what's a really, another one of those things where like, you know, people I've talked to and they're like, oh, They'll never be, they don't control the, the platform like a Facebook or whatever. So they can't do push notifications, right? Okay, well, that was already flawed in the fact that like Chase and others, if you redeem an offer, you got a push notification. But now it's like, okay, well, here you go. They're already doing push notifications. So that should help dramatically again. And so that's a huge important aspect is then it doesn't matter, even if it, the banks deprioritize this and it's hidden, if you get a push notification, well, then you're getting directly to the offers. And if it's related to free money, I think people are going to find their way there. Uh, yeah. Other things are working on time-based offers. Uh, we've already seen that in Dosh, but Chase even tested it out with, with like a limited time offer. And it was like 20% back, which is you know, really good for some of these companies. Product level offers, local offers. Uh, they're, you know, Cardless just recently, again, this, this was either maybe December or January, they were talking about, oh yeah, we built into the new ads or, or the new ads manager related to like the self-service aspect, uh, the ability to connect uh, via APIs, which should help with, you know, more local and SMB content for them to actually use this ad, uh, you know, connect to the ad server or ads manager and start placing offers. Um, another thing that they've been working on, again, oh, this was like September I heard this. So this was real recently is they knew. So what's funny about this is I think it was Aja was they listed all these things that Carlix would need to do. And, and it's like, oh, wait, that's exactly what Carlix is actually doing. And one of the things they said was, oh, well, they'll need to do, uh, they'll have to have machine learning uh, to be more hands-off. Well, in that thing, that September conference, Carlix was like, oh, yeah. And so recently we built machine learning for targeting ability so it can be more hands-off. Uh, Carlix is actively working on uh, a new ads marketplace for more auction-based pricing. And I think that could be huge. And so, again, a lot has changed in a relatively short period of time. But 
to kind of put that in context, because I mean, that's just throwing a lot of out and, and maybe investors hear that. And again, once again, they'll just think, let's give that a, like a zero because we, we have no way to even think about that, right? Well, here's the thing is, I, you know, Lynn has even just talked about this in, uh, uh, what was it, January 2022, that conference, which was what, less than two months ago, she was giving out stats. And one of the most, it was just this crazy stat was uh, related to the new ad server and the new user experience. And, and I think is that you'd have to read the exact quote, uh, but it was related to the when it was the same for Q4, for the same exact campaign, if they compared like the old user experience to the new user experience, that difference was like a 200% increase in click rates. And then even in some, it was like over 400%. And the context was, you know, engagement has not been our issue. Uh, it's never been the issue. And now with the new ad server, it's, it's even less, it's even more not our issue, right? And so I think that people would hear that because people were talking about it. But I think they hear that and they're like, yeah, that seems too good to be true let's ignore it, right? It's just this common theme, I think, in Cardlytics, where, again, it's not certain, we're not seeing it yet, so we just prescribe nothing to it. Uh, but I'll, I'll be, I'm just, I'm really interested to see when this all rolls out with the new self-service, once we start getting, you know, which will create more offers and more relevant offers to users. And then you add in SKU to increase that relevance and the number of offers. And then you, if you add imagery on that, it, it'll help better understand those offers. Uh, then a new UI, you, you know, organize it like it's DOSH. And then finally you just tap on that user with a notification. I mean, I just, I, I, if that all doesn't work when that outcome comes come uh, is combined, it'll be really interesting, right? And so yeah. maybe you know one really helpful I think example is like maybe actually give an example of this uh, because again it kind of gets lost and okay you're throwing out all these things like what does this even mean or how does this work and I, then I can hit on some actually some key things that people I think are missing here and, and is okay. The way I like to think about this, and it ties a lot together, is like imagine <laughs> like you get coffee every day from like a Starbucks or a Dunkin', um, and you do that, maybe you're just going there to get some work done or something. Uh, but maybe then once a month or once a quarter, all of a sudden you, you go to Panera. I, I, Panera's always just a great example for many reasons, but, uh, and they are a client. And so maybe then so very frequently, you know, infrequently you go to Panera. Uh, so before, with just Cardlytics, with the whole, you know, what it was like before, you know, with all these, without these all improvements, with Cardlytics, you know, uh, Panera would just see the share of wallet to similar, maybe restaurants, because without the SKU, they would see the transaction amount, like on a statement, and they say, okay, $5, uh, okay, <laughs> uh, what, what was that, right? So yep. when you add in SKU, you start realizing that individual, oh, wait, they're actually getting coffee? It wasn't a bagel and we were, we were comparing to the wrong people. And so it's like, okay, well, if they're buying coffee, well now they're probably buying coffee at Starbucks and Dunkin'. And so now you can check their, their relative share using Cardlytics, which is one of their benefits. Cause you're seeing, you know, it's not just your company data and what they're spending with you. It's like, how does that compare elsewhere? And you, you could see, oh, your share relative, you know, to Starbucks and Dunkin' for Panera is just a, rel is a small share. It's just a little sliver. So now let's say you, you can send them an offer and use a picture and you're saying, okay, we know they like coffee. So, so send them a coffee subscription offer. And then because there's different margins, you're not just doing that 10% offer, you're doing like a 50% offer. Uh, and so let's say you can even just break even on that offer, right? Well, I think that offer then, you know, becomes more relevant to the user. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, 
you know, maybe before they didn't even know uh, Panera had <laughs> a coffee, right? They saw the 10% right. offer and they're just like, oh, it's Panera. That's that's bagels, right? Uh, they, and even though every day they're going and, and, and buying coffee. So now, well, now they even see a picture of coffee and like, oh, that's enticing. And then it's like a 50% offer rather than just the 10% because it's, it, it's more specific and they have different margins. And so if it's 50% or even three, it's like, well, that's attractive. And then maybe, mm -hmm. you know, if you group this with a lot of different customers, and as long as you're really breaking even on, on that first month, right? Or even in the first couple months, if you convert a certain amount of customers, so it was free to do this on it, you know, on, uh, after everything goes through, because you only pay for what's actually redeemed, which is an interesting thing with Carlytics, is once that all gets going, going through, if you start thinking about this on an LTV to CAC basis, a lifetime value to customer acquisition like thing, mm -hmm. it is just, it would be a super attractive ad spend, right? But so many people get hung up in the 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 ROAS, like, oh, but on a return on ad spend, this doesn't, well, how does that compare to Facebook? That's the interesting thing about Carlytics is it's all about based on the purchase data. It's all stuff you can track. And so I think that just adds so many layers of, of with Bridge. And, and the interesting thing is Panera is actually a user of both Bridge and Carlytics. And they said, and in one of their interviews, that they actually want to do this. And that's why I use the coffee example too, because they said, hey, we would love to show a picture of coffee and, and have and advertise that. And, and so the other aspect of this, and I think this is very important because so many people get hung up on this and I, 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 I guess I can understand where they're coming from, but what they'll say is, well, Panera has their own app uh, and they would never need to use Cardlytics because I mean, why would they pay Cardlytics to do that? Because they control their own customers, right? Well, the first thing that Cardlytics does is they give you that share of wallet. You are, it's not, you're not just restricted to your own company data. You're seeing how does that compare to everywhere else? So even if you have a loyal customer, well, what if that customer is spending way more at, you know, somewhere else, right? And so it's like, well, you should target that customer because you could, they could even spend more at your company. So it's not even just about, you know, converting customers, which is a good aspect of Cardlytics. It's like saying, oh, we can try to get new customers on there. Because again, if you just have like the Panera app, how many of them, uh, like how many people just don't even use a Panera app? Right. right. I, I don't. And even if, if I did, uh, I know for other companies that I have like their app, if they send me an offer, like a push notification, I usually turn those off. <laughs> I don't want them. If they get an email offer, usually goes to spam. And so with my bank though, it's like, well, what if my, my, my notification is related to something like fraud or some unusual activity or something along those lines? I'm not turning that off. Yeah, and so, and I trust my bank more. So I was like, oh, interesting. I got an offer from them. So it, it's really funny because another part of this is like people will use Starbucks as an example. They'll say, oh, Carlytics is done. Everyone's building their own apps and they control that. Like look at Starbucks and their app and they'll use Starbucks as the example. And what's, and I love it. It's like, ha ha, gotcha. Because <laughs> what happens is, is, is Car or Starbucks is one of the biggest spenders on Cardlytics yep. and they keep spending more. And even Cardlytics uh, discussed this, that Starbucks is also using Bridge. And before, so when, when Cardlytics discussed this, they said uh, with the, you know, their, their loyalty app, uh, which a lot of people recognize as one of the best apps for, you know, for the system is they said, oh, you know, they only can see 12%. I dug into that. I think that's an outdated number. I think it's closer to like 26% now, but still the point they were making was with Bridge, they can see insights and, and be able to target now up to 90% of the customers. And so it's even Starbucks, who's one of the best, who has one of the best apps that, you know, I even use. It's like, they still don't have insight to all the customers and they themselves, the example everyone's using of why would it, you know, what if everyone does what Starbucks doing? Well, Starbucks is using Cardlytics and Bridge. And they're one of the biggest spenders and they keep spending more. So I don't know. I, I think it, it's just, it's an interesting context of everything. Well, is the other reason why just to 
lean into the Starbucks example is the other reason why they keep spending on Cardlytics is because though they have this awesome loyalty program, and you might have alluded to this, they can't see if those customers are buying Dunkin on those loyalty members. So it's like John Doe is a loyalty member with Starbucks. Sure, Starbucks can see all the stuff that he buys through the loyalty app in a Starbucks, but he can't see if John Doe buys you know, three cups of coffee from Dunkin' Donuts during the same week that he buys from Starbucks. Yeah, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And that was something I, you know, I even thought early on, you know, that it was all about just acquiring the new customers until, you know, I was listening to some interview and they're like, the thing that people don't realize is you are seeing that share of wallet elsewhere. So even though you have, let's say you have a hundred percent of, you know, people in your, your, your app, like Starbucks, just like you said, even your most loyal customers might be spending way more elsewhere. And so it's, that's where Cardlytics still is the benefit. And those are probably the people that you should be targeting, right? You're, they're already loyal with you, but they're spending more elsewhere. So they're probably really going to react to your offers. And so that is one of those subsets that Cardlytics helps target. Yeah. And that's, that's what I find most, most fascinating about these companies that, again, because I kind of agree with you, everybody's building these loyalty programs. But if we, if we keep going further down that rabbit hole of everybody's building the loyalty program, how does Cardlytics reconcile the competitive dynamics? Like, let's say Starbucks is a customer, and let's also say Dunkin' Donuts is a customer. And so Cardlytics, on one hand, could go to Starbucks and say, Hey, like, here are the people that you can steal from Duncan or something like, or here are the people that are buying from Duncan and not buying from you. And then they can also turn around and go right to Starbucks and, or go right to Duncan and say, Hey, here are all the people that are buying from Starbucks, not buying from you. Like, is there any sort of conflict of interest at play there? Like as Cardlytics expands and, 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 and starts, you know, customers are competitors in these industries with one another. Yes. Cause here's the thing. Well, I, what's really interesting, and I, I don't remember when I when I finally heard about this, is they can Carlitis cannot do what you just said. Okay. They cannot. I, I can't remember the exact like how it all works or what the I'd have to look this up. But all I know is they cannot like single out one person for the exact reasons you just said. <laughs> yeah. And so what they have to do is they have to, like I don't remember what the exact requirements or how many people have to be, but that's why it's a regarding like the share of wallet. Is they're just saying, hey, this is how much this person is spending in your category in relation to others that are similar. It's not you know stealing one customer and going back. So they 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 have addressed that before. Got it. We've discussed a lot of really detailed aspects of this business. And so I want to step back here as you know, we're kind of getting over the hour mark. I want to step back and then think of all of the things we've discussed and, 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 and wrap it into some sort of range of, of, of shareholder value. Um, as, as we mentioned earlier, the company is trading at call it $2 billion market cap today. And if you can just walk us through, I think in the articles that you've written, you've got like a worst case scenario, a conservative case scenario, and then like a best case scenario. And in inside of thinking about valuations, I want to get your thoughts on the Kelly criterion, which is one of the things that you use to kind of gauge bet sizing, at least in that Cardlytics example. So let's start with these scenarios and, and, and how you're thinking about shareholder value. Yeah, absolutely. I think a good way I can place, I, I can, I think I can sum this up in one really nice way Perfect. Um, is okay. 
if if you because <laughs> here's the thing is everyone always you know focuses on all these things but you have to put it in context of the current price exactly what you said i mean i, I don't remember exactly what it is today if it's like but it's round two billion um, and so if you take that, what I love doing, and people will criticize, you know, reverse DCFs because then there's too many levers and stuff. So one way I try to do is like, okay, if I think about this just conservatively, can I just use this as just a rough estimate of just to know what's implied by the current price, right? And, and again, I'm looking for stuff that's just widely different than what I think is going to happen. And so if I take 2 billion today and I think, okay, what's, you know, maybe what investors are requiring under a certain interest rate of you take, you know, maybe a long-term, you know, uh, risk-free rate, equity risk premium, some level of growth, uh, let's call that maybe like 5% altogether, right? If you extrapolate that out 10 years, that means from 2 billion by the end of your 10, you're around like 3.3 billion, right? Of, of a value uh, to get that 5%. Well, 5% also implies a 20 multiple. So if you back that out, you're getting a free cash flow around like uh, 160. If you use the same effective tax rate of like Google or Facebook at that point, which is around like 15%, you get pre-tax of like 190. Uh, if you then add back your operating expenses, we'll say that grows from like 200 to, uh, you know, at a, at a rate of like 4% over the years because there's a lot of operating leverage. And there is an aspect of why I'm not assuming something dramatically higher. And I'll try to make that point here in a bit. Uh, if, we, if we assume 300, now we get to... Uh, what is that gross profit of like four like 490 ish and then okay well that's your gross profit we need to get to revenue if we assume the the last three years the gross profit was at like 36 percent and i already discussed why that should go up because the fi shared it should decrease but we'll, we'll ignore that and we'll say it's at like 36 percent well now you get revenue of like one uh, like what's that like 1.4 billion and so it's like, okay, well, with 171 million MAUs, well, if you back that out, you get ARPU or the average revenue per user of around like eight. Uh, and then if you use the same, you know, now there's some reasons why you may or may not be able to do this, uh, but it's still conservative. If you want to back into what the consumer incentive would be per user, it's around $4, right? It's usually like two to one conversion. Okay. Okay. So there's a lot there, but the, the main, and I was also just throwing that out so people could just have some numbers if they want to see if like, you know, do what they want with it. But here's the thing. Here's the important part is, okay. Well, let's start thinking about that because the, the, the important number there is consumer incentive and ARPU. The ARPU of $8 in 10 years does kind of match what management said. They have said like, hey, we want to hit high single digit numbers. Uh, today, I think it's sub two, like it's it's pretty small. So it's like, okay, there's some growth there. And so maybe people are saying, yeah, it's already accounting for the growth. Um, and then consumer incentive of $4. But here's the thing, someone, someone will say, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Austin, <laughs> your, your, your assumption then implies that you're going to have 100% engagement with that. Is that a reasonable assumption? Well, here's the thing. I actually think it is in the fullness of time. If you get enough advertisers, could one, could you get for every user, could you get one, them one relevant offer? And let's say, I mean, one offer I always go back to is Panda Express and they have the $10 offer for $10 back, uh, $10 back if you spent $10 free meal, right? Could, if you had something that was relevant to someone, would they use that? I think so. And so it's like, okay, but let's, let's say, no, let's say that that's not going to happen. And instead only 10% of users are going to be engaged. Well, what does that imply? Well, that implies around uh, that in 10 years, people will get to about $40 of consumer incentive. And you might think right away, like, is that a lot? Like, I, I don't know. Well, this is why it's important to understand it from the customer point of view and why I was interested in this business is here I am <laughs> over the last year and a half, my wife and I, we have redeemed like $300 of consumer incentives, right? So if that's over two cards, well, that's uh, 150 each. And then over a year and a half, that's $100 per person. Okay, well, maybe I'm some, you know, anomaly. But well, first of all, again, we're only talking about 10% of the users, the most engaged users. Uh, 
if you, you know, I've asked, you know, other friends, one person used like, you know, maybe the, the new Allbirds offer, which was like $50. I, my dad, who, you know, doesn't even know about all these things. Uh, I think he's redeemed like $30. And so, okay, on average, amongst a lot of people, it's $40 amongst 10% of the population possible. Is that reasonable? And I, and I think, yeah, it is. But here's, here, here's the thing, right? So, so if, you, if you stop there, you could say, okay, Cardlytics is appropriately priced. But here, here, here's the aspect of it. That is all possible under the current environment. I'm over here spending $100 of consumer incentive on the existing platform. Everyone else I'm talking to is doing this on the existing thing. So all that, so the, the only thing that would have to happen is, like, and for the reasons we talked discussed before, is we just have to have more advertisers, you know, use the channel and get, you know, and, and fill that demand. And so essentially what that means is if we can, you know, say that that's true, <laughs> well, what does that mean? Well, that means then the the market is completely ignoring everything else. It's ignoring any gr uh, growth in MAUs. It's ignoring any possibility that there's a new bank that will ever be added, uh, which was a rumor just recently. Um, but that's a rumor nonetheless. It ignores any growth from bridge and adding product level offers. All the things we discussed about, you know, switching in the CPGs or adding, you know, brands and uh, or just the fact of the possibility of lower revenue share from introducing the bridge data. It ignores any growth from neobanks such as Venmo. I mean, it's just giving them that a zero, right? I talk about, you know, I believe a firm is, is one of the potential partners that they might be signing to. I have no idea. Maybe it won't happen, but it ignores that possibility completely. It ignores any growth from open banking. It ignores any, I'm going to keep going because I think this is <laughs> really important. It ignores any improvement from the engagement levels, which we already talked about. Like we are seeing, we have the stats that there is benefit. Well, it's ignoring that. Then it means that it's also ignoring any, uh, like if, if, if we're giving the banks their own self-service. And so now they can do it on their own. Like they can't, like everyone worried about it. Well, now they can do it. And but people are like, oh, well, let's not get any benefit to that. Ignores auction-based pricing, any shift to that LTV to CAC model uh, that we talked about instead of ROAS, which some advertisers are already doing, uh, Uber Eats. Uh, they had an offer which was like $16 or 48% back on your first offer and then 5.5% off after. Well, that's exact. I mean, that's a, hey, let's try to get, convert that customer and then have them for a long time. Uh, this, this market price currently ignores time-based offers like we talked about and ignoring any benefit of using the channel in a different way. So that's something that we didn't hit on, but advertisers like Starbucks and, and McDonald's, they use this where, they, where their offers are saying, oh, this is only on the app only. So they're trying to, you know, increase the efficiency of their business or motivate a different behavior, which Cardlytics you can do, right? Uh, ignores any benefit from using different pictures uh, with different customers, kind of like Netflix, which is a huge secret sauce of theirs for engagement. Again, I just <laughs> there's all I'm, I'm getting at is I would never have been interested in this business in the first place if it wasn't for the fact of the current price. And so again, I I, I could be wrong, but I we'll see. Yeah. No. I mean, I. I... I, I kind of love how you how you walk through that, um, and then when you when you kind of think about it through 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 that lens, and then think about probabilities of, of of each of those scenarios happening, you go ahead and then implement the Kelly criterion. And so, for those that don't know about it, uh, what is the Kelly criterion, and then how do you use it in bet sizing for a portfolio? Yeah. Uh, so 
essentially the color criteria is mostly a way like it's I think I've seen a lot more with like gambling and trying to figure out what the appropriate amount of your bankroll you should bet uh, for like position sizing. And so essentially you're, you're still trying to avoid ruin because if you go to zero, I mean, that you can't go anywhere from there. Uh, but the way I've, if you actually use some algebra, you essentially can get, depending on the which Kelly formula you use, you essentially get to expected value. It's almost essentially what it's doing. And I really like thinking about that uh, much more than Kelly, because here's the problem with the Kelly formula, right? Is only one scenario is going to happen for this investment. <laughs> so even though, like I had that whole example early on where it's like, um, I guess I don't even know if we talked about this. Uh, do we, we even talk about it like an expected value with like Cardlytics or anything? essentially like okay here's like just even if we hit it really quick like let's say there's a maybe did we talk about this brandon i, I think you i think you went through the unit economics of like how how consumers spend cardlytic how how much consumers spend on cardlytics but then if you want to go ahead and extrapolate that to like an actual expected value for the business well, okay, just one just real quick thing is like, if we went through a scenario, like if we're thinking through like, I'll see if I can throw this, like think about this real quick. I think if you go through and you think, um, let me try to do this real quick in my head. I think if you have, if, if the current market cap is around like 200 or okay, the total addressable market in the US is let's say 200 billion for the, the US digital ad spend. And Cardless could get uh, just 5% of that for the billings that is 10 billion in billings well then they have to pay uh you know the consumer incentive so now you're at 7 billion in revenue then you have to pay pay the banks and now you're at you know 3.5 billion in gross profit then you have to pay let's say a billion in operating expenses so now you're at like 2.5 of operating income then you have to pay taxes now you're at like 2 billion of cash flow and so going through that if you put a 20 multiple on that that's a 40 billion dollar valuation right uh, and and there is, I go way more in depth of explaining all that. And that's not the, the point I'm trying to make here is, well, what's the probability of that happening of, of getting, you know, a 5% market share of 200 billion, right? Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing. There's many things that ignores. Well, what about the market expanding? What about, you know, global ad spend? Is it only 5%? And so it's like, okay, even if there's a 10% chance of that happening, and we say there's a 90% chance of going to zero, the expected value is 4 billion, right? In relation to today's market cap of 2 billion, it's like, well, there's a difference there, right? And again, we have all the other, uh, I mean, the thing that that ignores though, then is, well, is it the best outcome of that 10% only 40 billion? Or, or I think it actually is probably way better. And then that whole 90 other, you know, 90 other percent. Well, I don't think it's all zero. I think, I mean, yes, there's going to be that probability where, or that one scenario that does have a non-zero probability where it goes to zero, but there's many more outcomes where this works out. So the expected value is probably much higher. But where this relates to Kelly, that the reason why I like expected value more than Kelly is, if you did think about that, the reason why the problem in that logic, let's say I say, oh, wow, and now I need to allocate a ton off, off based on Kelly because uh, that's exactly what it told me to do is, well, if there is truly a 90% chance to go to zero and there's only one scenario that's going to happen, well, maybe that scenario is the one that goes to zero. And so, mm. I mean, that is why I don't hold just one company. I hold two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> way more way more diversified going from one yeah. holding to two holdings <laughs> but, but honestly i i i'm not kidding you that is a hundred percent the reason is is i i really don't it, it's not even the fact of like like i know i can be wrong and i i'm probably wrong on a lot of things i know i have misunderstandings right uh but i think it's more a function of 
what scenario is going to play out in the future? And one of those scenarios is a zero probability, like a zero valuation, right? It could go to zero. Like there's not a lot of debt, but this business could go away. And so it's like, I, it's not prudent to me just to put a hundred percent in, right? So I, I do think that's why I've expanded a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you're the most, you're the second most concentrated investor that I've <laughs> ever had on the show. The most, the most concentrated was, um, what was his name? Oh, I think it was Will <laughs> Will Thrower. This was from like over a year ago. And he he was yeah. all in 100% in advanced Zinc Tech Limited ANO over in Australia. Um, yeah. I don't know if he still owns it or not. But uh, yeah, <laughs> he was no one has beaten his concentration at the time of recording. But you've come close. That is, that I, is for I, sure. I will, I will say I at one time I had 100% in Carlytics and I was applying like private loans and doing other stuff. And then I started thinking about it more and I was thinking about that zero outcome. And I was like, okay, I, you know, I'm young. I can start over like, cause okay, here, this is, this is my life. This is my thinking, right. Is I would hate to be right. And then, you know, I'm talking with you, Brandon, at some point you're like, Oh, how much did you allocate? Oh I, yeah. I allocated 5%. I cannot live with that. Right. I can live with that, you know, I had what I thought was the right, you know, situation and a different scenario played out. And I bet at, you know, what I thought was appropriate that, that I can live with if, if things don't work out, but just not the other way. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and, 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 and agreed. And one of the most important things about that though, is you've got some sort of safety net, you've got some sort of other income or cash right. uh, cushion that allows you to take these bets in this portfolio and, 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 and really concentrate where you can say, look, like I'm going to make these big bets. Um, if they go to zero, I'll be okay. I mean, it's going to suck, but I'll be, I'll be yeah. able to pay my bills and, 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 and things like that, which is again, like if you're, if you're a portfolio manager, or if you're managing other people's money, running running some type of partnership, you might not have those luxuries because now you're beholden to LPs and you have to make sure that their alignment is the same with your alignment. Uh, maybe a two-stock portfolio doesn't work. But for personal things, I, 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 I think the logic you laid out is, is uh, solid. No, and you're absolutely right. Like I, I manage some you know, personal accounts for some others. And I don't just do those two companies. Um, I, I do four. I mean, it still might be, again, perceived as like not that much, but it, it's one of those, it's the line of thinking. It's like, okay, I still could be wrong about both Cardlytics and both Carvana. And then, uh, so I added just a little bit more, but that I guess is probably another conversation. Yeah. And <laughs> Carvana is a, Carvana is a whole different beast. Um, and I would, I would actually love to love to get you on in the future on Carvana. Um, yeah. It's a name, it's a name that I'm interested in now at, at its current price. Um, I actually didn't think it would, it would come back down to these levels. I mean, there's, there, there's, there's obviously Carvana bears that are like, Oh, well, oh, yeah. this is, this is just one, one, one stop on its way to zero. Um, yep. <laughs> just, just so well, here's the thing, just like real, one real quick thing about this. Cause you, you hit on it about the current price is if you do the same stuff we were talking about here of doing like a reverse DCF and make and use under some reasonable, uh, assumptions, you can back into what is implied by the current market cap of the number of cars that they could be sold in like 10 years from now. Right. And if, and I can't remember exactly the last time I did this, it was pretty recently, but I think it was like, depending on your assumptions, again, there's multiple levers, but it was something like 1 million cars sold right? Which is more than today. Uh, so it's in, it's, in, it's baking in some growth, but it's like, okay, in relation to 40 million cars, that's like what, 2.5% uh, or something like that, right? Like yeah. a market share. 
but here's 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 the one aspect and I, I just wanted to make sure i say this because i don't think people talk about this enough right that's only based on the existing market share carbon has talked about this in like their 2018 uh, analyst day where they said okay you know the average time in between sales is like 6.75 if that goes from 6.75 to like five uh the time between buying and selling cars uh then the market expands from 40 to like 54. so that's 14 million more cars a year well then yep. you start thinking who gets that market share right like is it still the 2.5 percent that people are applying which is more of a function of the current uh market penetration rates which i don't think is the right way to think about it because of the growing competitive advantage of growing customer uh, value proposition but if you think about that 14 million cars what portion should they get well carvana is the one creating that lower time in between sales right now me as a customer i put off buying cars i hate it it's one of the worst things ever you can buy but except hey now you have carvana which was one of the you know there was some different aspects and i've wrote about it but overall was the best buying experience i've ever had so could i see myself buying you know if i want to upgrade to maybe something a little bit better in a few years if it's just as easy as i go on the app and finish buying and within five minutes and the next day they, they take my car and get a new car could i buy you know before 6.75 years probably. And so if Carbon is the one contributing to that, you know, increase, well, they should get the majority of that. And so if like, if you just said, well, let's say they get 50% of that, that's 7 million cars. <laughs> that's much more than that's currently being applied for. Right. And then people will say, well, how are they going to get that? Uh, how are they, yeah, yes, the demand's there, but how are you going to get the supply? I mean, well, as you grow, you can get more from customers. You, uh, get into auctions the marketplaces new cars partnering with oems rental fleets like they're doing with hertz i mean they again this is the benefit of having a good manager uh i think they can figure it out and again that's under just basic situations but i just wanted to throw that in there just because I, I i don't feel like people talk about it. the only thing i ever hear is all the negativity and i like having fun with positivity <laughs> yeah it's fun being an optimist. It is. It is. It is. And I think optimists, I mean, I don't think I've, his history has shown that optimists win in the long term uh, with in this, in this game. So Austin, this has been such a sweet we'll conversation. Um, I, I, I really appreciate you diving into the weeds on, on, on Carlytics and, 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 and wetting our palate for maybe a, maybe a Carvana podcast. Um, where can, where can people go to find out more about you? I know you just released a premium Substack, So make sure to make sure to plug that. Yeah. Um, so the name that it's probably easier to find me is Swanee 407. I think Austin Swanson is just still too common of a name. And so I use that for Twitter, YouTube, Substack, my website. I put up a ton of free content. I have a ton of posts on Car Cardalytics. Uh, plan to do some more about Carvana. Uh, but yeah, as you mentioned, I just released, I, I had some people that were already, you know, uh, premium subscribers to my Substack. And I was like, okay, how can I actually just give them something unique? Cause I want to still keep doing the free posts. And I thought, okay, I have all these notes, which are a function of, you know, I took all those actuarial exams and I learned I, I like taking notes. And I'm like, okay, if I can just organize these, clean them up, add some more detail um, and make them accessible, I think this would be a really cool addition. And so I just made those available for Cardlytics. There's four, if I, I think if I copy and paste into Word, it's like 435 pages <laughs> of notes. Uh, like I've reached Substack limits already from posts. Like I had to break it up and then I've already hit another limit and it has information, you know, I've never got to release or things I've ever talked about. There's some really interesting things in there that I, I hope to get to some, some point, but I might not. Um, and then I'm actually working on my Carvana ones right now where I think I have like 150 some pages. Uh, I'm just working on trying to organize and clean that up and I'll be releasing that soon as well. Terrific. So I'll make sure to include a link to that Substack. Um, below because because the work you do is i mean truly it's uh 
it's it's incredible deep dives um and <laughs> and and you go further than a lot of investors both you know just general hobbyists and and and, and professional managers so thank you again for the work that you do uh last question i've got if you could have dinner with one person from the past or the present who would it be and why um yeah, i think it's cliche to say you know like warren or charlie um yeah but don't say honestly the, the yeah i'm not going to <laughs> right <laughs> and honestly i don't even know if i would want to right it's like okay I, I i like you know what they've done but i don't know if i really want to meet them um honestly the one person i would love to have dinner with is cliff Sosa, right like mostly just since i know we would have so much to talk about and i probably should buy him dinner given how much value I've gotten from him. Like not only from, you know, what he's put out there, but there's been many times he's corrected my line of thinking both on the current investments and others. So I think that would, that'd be a great dinner. Yeah. I like that. I like that answer. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Sosin fan. Um, oh yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and thankful that I've been able to, to pick his brain, uh, which is, which is, which is always just so much so much knowledge that uh that 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 you can learn from someone like that so austin thanks so much for coming on the show again we'll do this again with carvana i'm sure um and in the meantime have a great rest of your 2022 and good luck with that super concentrated two-stock portfolio i wish you the best of luck (laughs) thanks brandon this episode is brought to you by ticker Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional-level investment research to you, the individual investor. Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ and has coverage of over 50,000 stocks globally with financial data, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership percentages, transcript filings, news, and more. ValueHive listeners can join Ticker's free beta trial today at ticker.com forward slash hive. That's T-I-K-R dot com forward slash hive.